This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. Today, I have Claudia Christian, and I'm so excited about Claudia because not only have Claudia and I kind of struck up a friendship over the last year or so, but Claudia has an amazing wealth of experience to bring to this topic. Claudia founded a nonprofit called the C3 Foundation in 2013 and produced a documentary called One Little Pill. Claudia is, you know, starred in the documentary because she's been an actress for 35 years, been in, you know, shows such as NCIS, Criminal Minds, The Mentalist recently in 911 and um, you know just amazing career not only that Claudia but you're also an author <laughs> you do so much stuff so impressive and I just I think your take on everything uh, regarding alcohol is just absolutely fascinating and such a breath of fresh air for people and a, a path of hope where people have tried everything else but but haven't been able to kind of find uh, that one magic bullet, so to speak. You almost have the magic bullet in, in some regards. So anyway, would you mind, first of all, welcome. Thank you so much <laughs> Thank for Thank you. Here. Thanks for having me on. That's you know, awesome. I, loved, I loved your book, so uh, I think we were on the same mission, just in different different directions. That's so cool. Um, can you just start with your story? Because I'm sure people would love to hear kind of where you've been. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No matter talk. I, uh, you know, I and in my 30s, I became more of a social drinker. And right around my early 40s, I noticed that I had a problem and other people noticed that I had a problem. And I did the, the reasonable thing, um, even though we know you can't reason with addiction, but I did the reasonable thing, which traditional treatment says dictates that I would have been cured because I quit drinking. Um, I went sober. But what happened to me was the alcohol deprivation effect kicked in. So instead of being a regular drinker, I became what's called a binge drinker. And the binges became progressively worse. So I would go from three months sober, six months sober, and then I would relapse and relapse and relapse. And at this point, because my drinking had changed to a dangerous style of drinking, you know, you're a regular drinker and then, uh, you know, maybe a too much drinking wine every night, five nights a week. But then I became a really heavy binge drinker. So that was far more dangerous and more difficult to recover from. So chakras, realignment, I tried hypnotherapy, uh, 400 bucks an hour. I went to cognitive behavioral therapy, 200 bucks an hour. I went to a fancy rehab place um, in Northern California. That was $30,000. And all of it was just basically to do the 12 steps in a fancy environment. The 12 steps, as good as they are for other people, didn't do anything to change my brain. I realized that something had shifted in my brain brain. I was obsessed with alcohol. Either when I was sober, I was obsessed with the fact that I couldn't drink. When I was drinking, I was obsessed with the fact of, well, when, when am I going to be able to drink or when is my next drink? So alcohol dictated my thoughts. And that's what really frightened me. I do come from a family of researchers and scientists and doctors. And I, I realized that this was not a moral failing. This was not something that I wasn't praying hard enough for it to go away. I wasn't engaging in the 12 steps as much as I could. Those, tr those treatments, those, those methods, not treatments, those ideals didn't fix my brain. I kept obsessing. So even when I was sober, I was what, I don't like this term, but I was a dry drunk. I was very bitter. I was very resentful. I started um, 
really becoming a hermit. I was isolating myself. I couldn't hang out with my friends because they drank. I never went anywhere because there was alcohol everywhere. And I was very, very angry. I was angry at this happening to me. Why me? The big God question. Why me? I'm a good person. And the other issue was I was angry that none of the treatments that I tried worked. Nobody gave me any other alternative other than be sober and go to meetings, be sober, go to meetings. It's a lifetime thing. Willpower, willpower. What do you do about the cravings? What do you do about the white knuckling? What do you do about the obsessive thoughts? And I realized I now was experiencing something much like when I experienced a skosh of anorexia when I was a, a, a young girl. I was compulsively, I also had OCD as a little kid. I was a counter. And I realized that this was an obsessive compulsive thought. This was OCD in a way. I was constantly thinking there was just a reel in my head of alcohol, alcohol, drinking, drinking. Everything triggered me, uh, whether it was a bar or a pub or a photo or a magazine article on wine or anything triggered me. And this was just a hell. It was a hellish limbo. It was a hellish existence. It was something that I really was miserable. And yeah, I fought yeah. it for probably... I would say a good decade I was trying to find a solution. And most people suffer for longer than I did. But the average person suffering from an alcohol use disorder suffers for a decade before even thinking about seeking treatment. And I want to interject one thing here, which is just amazing. Out of 100 people, only 10 people will seek treatment with an alcohol use disorder. And out of those 10, only one person is expected to remain sober after the first attempt at reco recovery. One wow. person. And, and you think of any other treatable chronic disease or chronic condition or learned behavior that we deal with, including mental illness nowadays, nothing has that abysmal of a success rate. Nothing is that, that unchanged since the 1920s, 30s. Nothing. We don't treat diabetics with, with, with a, a, a method from the 1930s. I mean, it's 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 really it's barbaric and it makes me angry every single day when I when more and more people are reaching out to me for help because traditional treatment failed them. They didn't fail the treatment. They right. didn't right. you know, it wasn't that they don't have the willpower or they're a bad person or they're immoral or they're they're not trying hard enough. Would you say to a cancer patient, you know, if the treatment didn't work, why don't you try harder to make that treatment work? You know, I mean it's it's just it's it drives me crazy to think that we are, all of these people are being failed. They are, they are being denied a life-saving medication, an inexpensive generic medication, naltrexone. They are being denied to even try something else if naltrexone doesn't work for them. Baclofen, gabapentin, acamprosate, Tulpramax. All of these medications are available and doctors don't use them. And it makes me crazy, as you can tell. <laughs> I'm slightly passionate about it. No, it's such an important thing. It's so important. So yeah, uh, it's it, like I said earlier, it, we wouldn't treat any other chronic condition this way, any other disease. And I'm not going to play semantics. I don't care what you call alcohol use disorder. It could be Dr. Sinclair thought it was a learned behavior. As you know, I've been on the Sinclair method since 2009. And it is a very simple method that involves taking naltrexone one hour prior to the first drink of the day. Over the course of a few months, people who try it, there is an issue with compliance, which is very important. Um, if you don't comply, you will relearn the addictive behavior. This is, I, I, I liken it to something like the diabetes. This is your insulin. This is your, your life-saving medic. This is your heart medication. You cannot drink without it, period. It is a lifetime commitment.
But that said, about 40% of people on TSM, the Sinclair method, do become abstinent. Their goal is sobriety. So if that is your goal, you can achieve that with this. You can go back into AA meetings or smart recovery or moderation management or no, not moderation management if you're going to be sober. Um, any of these meetings, if your goal is sobriety, you can lose the cravings. You will no longer be white knuckling or obsessing or thinking about alcohol. And it's done. You know, that's the beauty of this. That and the price. Misuse costs America alone $250 billion a year. That's billion with a B. And of that... Costs, 72% of those costs are incurred by businesses. So this is something that potentially could save small and large businesses a ton of money, not to mention the human cost, right. you know, broken lives and families and abused children, crime, violence, car accidents, you know, it, it, medical insurance, it goes on and on. The, the costs are, this is an epidemic, and yet it doesn't get the attention that opioids do. No. It, uh, it doesn't get it. The, alcohol kills more people than all drug overdoses put together, more than malaria, tuberculosis, AIDS. It kills 3.3 million people every year. That's insane. It's a person every 10 seconds. So while talking, probably 240, 50 people will die needlessly. Yeah. That's that's it, the whole thing. It's just, I mean, I under the passion is is real, and it comes from a place like you were obviously put here. You know, sometimes people say you find your passion based on what you love, or sometimes you find it based on what you just hate. You know, well, I never <laughs> thought my. I always knew as a kid that I wanted to to help people, but I didn't think that it would come from something that nearly killed me. Right. I really didn't, and it and it nearly killed my spirit. That's the most important thing that I, 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 people with an addiction, any addiction, whether it's gambling or, or opioids or, uh, opiates or, or alcohol or food or online addiction, all of everybody suffering from addiction feels this enormous disappointment in themselves. They feel failure. They feel guilty. The guilt is what is just rehashing the stupid things you did on booze or drugs or you know, or the lack of control you feel because you can't stop eating those, you know, sugar or whatever, and, and it's affecting your health and your weight. All of these things add up to really killing somebody's spirit, you know, their, their sense of self. And that's what I think the most, the most victimized people are addicts because it is such a, there's so much stigma attached to it. Even the label, you know, having to call yourself, I'm an alcoholic every single day of your life. People don't stand up and go, I'm a leukemia survivor. Well, they say leukemia survivor. They don't, you know, that's my dream was always that people would be able to stand up and say, I used to have an issue with alcohol, but I don't anymore. And that, that yeah. was my dream. And to be able to say, yeah, I, I had an alcohol use disorder, but it's totally under control. Right. I'm free. You know, and I really want to reduce shame and yeah. stigma. I, I, I think that we've done so much for mental health. You know, people don't use the word bonkers, crazy. You know, they, they, all these, the, the vernacular has changed. We're more respectful to people with, with bipolar or, or, you know, all sorts of myriads of, of different uh, afflictions. And we don't do that with, with people with addictions. We call them a drunk or we call them an addict or we call them, uh, you know, uh, lazy or, or, you know, no control or why can't you just stop or just say no. It's all of these, all of this stuff that we say that sticks in the mind 
of somebody suffering from an alcohol use disorder or some other addiction that is really cruel and barbaric and, and it's unnecessary. And it's not helping anybody. It's making them worse because they're not seeking treatment because of this stigma and shame. Yeah. And it all, it all points to the person, you know, alcoholic oh, yeah. is the you person. Failed. Yeah. You failed. You yeah. didn't do the fourth step properly or you didn't, you know, after rehab, of course people are sober in rehab. That's the, that's the, they're, they're, they're locked up, you know, but the second they get out, all of the normal things happen. And what people don't understand who have not suffered an alcohol use disorder is this, there's an insidious nature uh, in your brain of, of addiction. And that is when you're sober for three, four months, your brain starts to tell you that you don't have a problem because reasonably, rationally, you've learned to control your drinking because you haven't had a drink in four months, right? So a rational thinking person would say, well, okay, I, I don't have a problem. I, I just achieved sobriety, so now I can have a drink. And then that one drink will trigger that endorphin release, which then triggers the addictive part of the brain, and lo and behold, you're back into a binge. Yeah. That's why people relapse to the point where they die. They drink themselves to death when they relapse quite often, or they die during withdrawals. And that this is a very realistic problem that people are not, they're simply not dealing with because they, they're afraid to get help. And it's another, is that when somebody doctor that they have a drinking problem, the fact that they're then being denied by that doctor treatment, medical treatment is malpractice in my opinion. It really is. I mean, to, to have the courage to say, I have a problem, doc, will you help me? And they go, just go to a meeting, stop drinking. Yeah. That's, that's their solution because they just haven't taken the time to learn about alternative treatments, medical treatments, scientifically proven treatments. Right. And so um, I just had somebody this week actually email me telling me his doctor wouldn't prescribe naltrexone. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I'm not a litigious person, but boy, let me tell you. If I could get a big suit against these doctors who refuse a FDA-approved life-saving medication, I would. Yeah. If I had yeah. to go, I would. I would sue them. I would sue them all. <laughs> so how? What do you tell this? I mean, I pointed the person to you, which is what I I always do. But but what would you tell listeners who are interested in naltrexone who, um, who can't get a prescription or are having find another doctor? There, we on the c3foundation.org uh, site we have uh, a, a little tab that says find a physician. And you will find um, verified and non-verified doctors on there. And even, worst case scenario, I don't recommend this because it's not even legal, but if you're desperate, I ordered it online when I first started the Sinclair Method. Um, and I'm not, I would much prefer somebody to go to their doctor. Uh, under FAQ, Facts tab, we have medical resources for doctors specifically, including the protocol that was written by Dr. Stephen Cox. Um, and we have printouts so that you can print out the information about the Sinclair method and bring it into your doctor. Or if your doctor refuses you, well, then definitely bring it in during your meeting. And if they won't even read it, you know, try and be emphatic about it. Say, I know this works. It's scientifically proven. There's over 120 clinical trials worldwide proving its efficacy. Please read it. It'll take you five minutes. If they then refuse you again, then I would suggest finding another doctor like I said, we have them listed um, under the find a physician page. Uh, change doctors and tell them why you're changing. 
Um, there, there are various ways on my website to procure the medication and all of the information there is, is, you know, free of charge. And if people email me, I will also send them the book that helped me the cure for alcoholism by Dr. Roy Scapa. And I'll send them the beginner's letter. We have a drink log there. We've got an online forum. I mean, it really is one-stop shopping. If you want to start, we have a 101 kit, which is for beginners. Um, if you want to start TSM, it's, it's not difficult. Don't let some naive doctor stand in your way. We will help you get the help that you need. And th with the advent of telemedicine, I'm so excited about this. Telemedicine is really the wave of the future. I think by this year, by the end of this year, we will have a telemedicine company in every single state in America. There's already one, um, in Australia covering the entire country. Uh, there is one in Canada. Um, we're really, this is, this is because those doctors that have it like Rhea health or any of these, uh, companies, they can actually have a doctor in every single state and that they will cover the entire state. You get a, a video conference with the doctor, you get your prescription from them. You can have coaching through them. Um, you have a breathalyzer with an app on your phone. You have to be accountable and take a breather at the end of the night so they can tell you how much you're drinking. I mean, it's really phenomenal and it's very low priced. And to me, if, if that was available when I was suffering, I would have done that easily. I would have so done that how, in a heartbeat. How did you find out <clears throat> in your own journey? I mean, how, how did you find out you were binge drinking, um, but only on occasion? So you could go three or four months at a time. So it was very long in between. Then what you mentioned early on, this alcohol deprivation effect, this, mm -hmm. which I guess is when your it's mind crazy. tells you, okay, I don't have a problem. Um, it's so craving. How did you, yeah. the craving? Yeah. How did I find that, that Trexone? I, my last um, binge uh, landed me in my only medical detox it, because I just went stone cold sober again, but I had been, it was a very bad relapse. Uh, I had been sober for about six months and I think, and um, I, re I relapsed. And when I was detoxing, I started to shake. I started to lose motor control. I couldn't talk. I couldn't walk. Um, it was really frightening. I was treated so badly, and so it was so humiliating. It was. It was just. It was a. It was a horrible experience. So on the when I got the medication to stop shaking, I just checked myself out. I said, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna detox here. This is. It's just barbaric. I was stuck in a room with somebody who clearly need medical attention. We're ignoring her. Um, she was like, she was practically comatose. I mean, it was just disgusting. Anyway, um, on the way out, I saw some flyers and I grabbed one of them and one of them was for the naltrexone shot, which was 1200 bucks a month. But I was so desperate. I just said, I I'll try anything. And then I went home and I started Googling what that was. And I realized that it was, then I found out the active ingredient was naltrexone and I Googled naltrexone and Roy Escapa's book, uh, Dr. Escapa's book popped up, Cure for Alcoholism. And I thought, whatever. Title, yeah, right. The cure for alcoholism, you know, negative, negative, negative thinking, of course, because everything I'm reading it and it made sense to me. I, 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 I was reading the book, you know, they had a free chapter and I said, oh my gosh, this makes sense. So I ordered the book and I went immediately online and I found an Indian pharmacy that sold naltrexone and I just ordered it without even reading the book. I just ordered everything at once. And I think the pills took like three months to get to me because I was, I had three months of sobriety under my belt when I finally started and I was panicking because I started to crave again. Um, and finally the pills showed up 
And I was really scared because I thought, what if I'm one of this tiny percentage who doesn't have this LLAPSPA40 gene or whatever it is? I thought, well, what if I'm not, what if I'm one of those people? And then I thought, well, I have addiction in my family on both sides. I'm Caucasian, uh, taking my life in my hands because that next drink could have led to an even worse binge that I had just had, which hospitalized me. So, but I was that desperate. I was, I was literally, because I knew I could not live the rest of my life without drinking because I, but the cravings would have just, I wouldn't have been able to focus or work or do anything. It was unbearable. I wanted to get rid of that compulsive thought process in my brain. And I took the naltrexone and I waited an hour and I had a little dinner made and I had a glass of red wine that I poured and I drank like that much out of the glass. And I just wasn't interested. I was interested in my steak and my spinach and, and my little meal. And I just remember thinking, this can't be, it. I went to bed. Um, I felt a little, because I was, my system is so clean and I don't take any medications or aspirin or anything, I felt a little fuzzy around the edges, but I didn't feel nauseous or weird or, or uncomfortable. Um, I just felt fuzzy, like I was a little stoned or something. But then I took it like three nights in a row and I went from one glass to maybe two glasses. And then one night I had three glasses and then I didn't drink for about a week, which was, you know, I just didn't want to which was the first, I just had no interest in drinking. And then it just, the first year, the first three years were perfect. It's just amazing, because I was, I was complying perfectly. Year four, I got a little lazy, I had some hiccups, which, I, which is actually, once again, we go back to your life's work. It, had I not experienced eight years of the ups and downs of TSM, I would not be able to speak from experience. Right. I've done anything and everything. I've, I've compounded it into sublingual drops. I've made a nasal spray out of it. I've done troches. I've, I've, you know, I've done everything possible to try and, and, and think of what people don't like about it. Okay. They don't want to wait the hour. Okay. Maybe I can get it directly into the system. Well, it doesn't taste good. <laughs> um, you know, all of these different things I've experimented. I'm like a human Guinea pig. So I can say with 100% complete conviction, compliance is everything with TSM. If you don't take the pill or if you will relapse eventually, you will relearn the addictive behavior. So I have tried to make it easier on people by, uh, we supply, I, so he just wears it all the time. Um, I always tell people, please just get extra medication, keep it in your car, at your best friend's house, your parent, whatever. Always have it on you. That is probably the most important thing because you have to comply. You have to think of this as a, as a lifetime commitment and this is your life-saving medication. That said, when you comply and your body gets used to the medication, which usually only takes a, a week or two, um, the side effects for some, the most common side effect is nausea. And I always tell people, well, you have to eat prior to taking it. And also, um, if it really bothers you, take an over-the-counter anti-nausea medication. There's no reason why you can't because it will go away. These, these side effects do go away. That said, um, the drug that they use in Europe and England, nalmaphene, has tremendously bad side effects for the majority of people. So I always encourage people, even there in those countries, to try and get naltrexone um, because it really is. I mean, I, I would say 70% of the people I deal with have no side effects whatsoever. They just pop the pill and they're like, okay, that was easy. You know. And I also encourage people to start with a half a pill for the first four drinking sessions. 25 milligrams, just cut it in half and so your body gets used to it. And then on the fifth session, go up to the full 50 milligram pill. 
So these are all just little tricks that you can use um, when starting out on the Sinclair method, because at the end of the day, we really want this to work for you. And, you know, something as, as simple as, as nausea can easily be dissipated. So, yeah, for sure. So if somebody is interested to try it, first of all, um, your C3foundation.org is, and we'll put mm -hmm. it in the show notes. And, and the, the three book, is spelled out. The three is spelled out. So oh, it's so C, C and three. three. -E -E, Foundation.org. Foundation.org. Okay, great. And we'll put it in, in the, in the notes to this episode as well. And then The Cure for, for Alcoholism by Dr. Ray Escapa. Um, Roy. And then Roy Escapa. And then you, uh, where can they find One Little Pill? That's on just uh, Netflix? Uh, if or... you want to watch www.onelittlepillmovie.com and that $3.99 will go directly to the C3 Foundation to support all of our outreach programs. Um, you can also buy it from that website, onelittlepillmovie.com. And you can see the trailer and the reviews on that website. Um, and like I said, those those proceeds go to help us continue our work. We are a nonprofit foundation, and it's just myself and Jenny, my executive director, who's located in Florida. I'm in Los Angeles. I do the counseling and dealing with the individuals. She does everything else. So we are an incredibly small grassroots uh, nonprofit foundation, and we don't have regular funding or grants or anything. So, you know, we rely on donations to continue. And I, I, I'm pretty darn proud of the fact that we've survived for, we're in our fifth year now and we survive on, on peanuts essentially, <laughs> but, uh, other resources are all found on the, on the website. And if somebody directly emails me, like I said, I will send them a PDF of the bend, uh, a beginner's letter, which will help them a lot with links. That's so great. And then, so when, when somebody's curious about it, just so that we're really clear. It's basically you don't stop drinking. In no. fact, it works better when you do drink because then it allows the craving to go away. Because one of but the you, things you have to drink on the Sinclair method. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This is it, this is not for somebody who has ten years of sobriety. Right. This, then whatever you're doing is working. This is for somebody who's tried everything: uh, rehab, AA, uh, moderation management, whatever, and they just can't. They keep can't relapsing. Days they together. And also for somebody who has the cravings and the white knuckling and wants to get rid of the thought process. Um, this is for, for those individuals. And those individuals, if they are actively drinking, have to probably have help. So the person you know, helping them would have to, in other words, wake them up at 5, 6 a.m., give them a pill, let them sleep for another hour, and then slowly taper them off of alcohol. Uh, that, you know, it, it can be, if it's, I mean, I would rather have somebody be medically supervised in that position, but a doctor is not going to probably allow the person to <laughs> detox at home uh, and drink, but you can do it. This is really for the person who wants to cut down or quit. And I have everybody from, uh, you know, young mothers who stress drink every night. Uh, a bottle, bottle and a half, two bottles of wine. I have people who want to lose weight, actors and actresses that are, you know, in the public eye and they are drinking too much. So they're getting bloated or heavy. They use it. These are not people that you would say are chronic alcoholics. These are not people who are physically dependent on alcohol. These are people who it's interfering with their work or their looks and they want to cut down. They want to go back to the way they were in their 20s where they had control over their drinking. They didn't think about drinking all the time. And, you know, just, I know this is obvious, but this is a progressive disease. 
You don't wake up one day and go to a bar and have a drink and suddenly you're physically addicted. You're, it's a learned behavior, as Dr. Sinclair always said. You learn to become dependent upon it and compulsively, actively compulsive with drinking. So a normal person will drink and they don't get that massive reward from alcohol, whereas a person with an alcohol use disorder will have a drink and the endorphin release will activate the addictive part of the brain. And that's what makes them want more and more and more. And so what, what this does, the opiate blocker, blocks those endorphins from reaching the synapses that will then activate the addictive part of the brain. So it's just keeping those endorphins in. Now, I don't like when people call it the pleasure killer because frankly, if I have a beautiful glass of wine, I'm getting a lot of pleasure from it still, even on naltrexone. The taste is the same, the relaxation qualities are the same, the camaraderie and fun with your friends to have a pint in, in a pub or have a glass of wine is fine, but you don't want more. You stop and you switch to tea or coffee or water because you just, you've had enough. You've won two drinks and you're like, eh, I don't want any more. And that's the beauty of it. So, you know, if you're using it for harm reduction, for moderation, for control, this is just a beautiful tool. You can still enjoy, and I, by the way, I have a lot of people who are in the hospitality industry or in, you know, restaurant businesses and they, they're, or, or advertising or whatever. Alcohol is always in their work life. So they would like to have one drink and not have to say, no, I don't drink. And then go into the whole explanation of, you know, why and, and, and all that stuff. So this is really a good solution for them. And it's, it's incredibly easy. Yeah. You pop a pill an hour before you go out and you're probably covered some people say four hours. I say that it's more like six, six hours. You're fine. You're, you're good for six hours. And for the chronic dependent drinker, if they continue to drink after that, they just take another pill. Okay. And then do you ever get drunk feeling on, on, um, naltrexone? You can. I mean, it, I, I look at people's drink logs and they go, uh, let's say it's New Year's Eve or the holidays or they're around people who still trigger them because they haven't dealt with that emotional issue of, of somebody triggering them. Yeah, there's times when you'll see a, a drink log that's like this. They, they didn't drink. They had one drink, didn't drink, two drinks, don't drink, three drinks. And then holidays come and whoops, you know, they had six or seven glasses that night, not because they desperately wanted it, but they were just, you know, it was a long Christmas dinner or something and they had it. Right. Let's hope you didn't drive or anything. But yeah, you can certainly get drunk on it. I mean, New Year's Eve, I don't know, Halloween, whatever people like. But once again, let's go back to what was normal. What was normal for me when I was in my 20s? I wouldn't drink for months. And then maybe I'd go to Cabo San Lucas with my girlfriends and have too many margaritas. Yeah. Didn't mean that I had a problem back then. You know what I mean? Yeah. It yeah. wasn't binge. It was just one night of too much. You wake up, you're hungover, you drink your coffee, and you're done. You're not going to drink for a while because it felt bad. You know what I mean? So that's that does happen to some people on the Sinclair method. They might have a night where they have four glasses of champagne. But the difference is they don't wake up in the morning and have a drink. Right. It doesn't trigger them to fall into another binge. And maybe the next night they won't have cravings to drink again. You know what I'm saying? It's a one-off. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then what about, what about pricing? Is it quite expensive or? No, it's, it's generic. So it's very inexpensive. Um, online, uh, I've found it, uh, anywhere from 70 cents to $6. You just have to shop, um, with health insurance. Uh, I deal with some people in Canada that if they have, um, 
counseling with me, they get the medication for free. Uh, in America, for instance, my prescription, I get 30 pills for $10. That's 30 cents a pill. And you only take yeah. it when you drink. So the more you use it, the less you need it. So this is why no pharma company is interested in naltrexone because it's not a medication that you take for life. You don't take it every day, even though most doctors prescribe it every day. It doesn't work that way. It, that's not the way it's, it's, it's best because what are you blocking if you take naltrexone in the morning every morning and you don't drink on it? You're blocking the endorphins from working out or from making love or from playing with your kids or animals or eating spicy food. So you don't wanna do that method, even though that's the way most doctors are trained to think about it because that's what it says in the insert in the box. That was only to get the medication approved by the FDA, but it's, it's incorrect. And so if you were to take like the, the shot, for instance, if you, if you couldn't comply, if you weren't having good compliance with taking the pill an hour before you drank and for some reason that was really difficult for you and you went to take the shot, you could possibly expect it to block other endorphins. Although I will say that when you're drinking quite often, other yeah. things don't register as much yeah. anyway. Yeah, I would say that for somebody who can't comply, I would recommend first the pellets or the implant before I would recommend the shot. I've just felt that a lot of people get uh, problems at the injection point. That's what I've heard. Um, I, I, I have heard positive things from the pellets and, and the implant, but that's mostly for opiate addicts, not for people with an alcohol use disorder, but to each his own. I mean, I, you know, if you can't comply, then it's better than nothing. Um, I would say that because it's on a time release that perhaps there are moments of the day that you'll just eventually find that this, that it doesn't feel like it's in your system as much. And that's when you could work out. But if you're a chronic drinker, I don't think you're working out <laughs> and, and having a lot of sex and <laughs> playing, playing with your kids and stuff like that. You, you have an alcohol issue that you need to deal with. And if that helps you, like I said, I'm not against any treatment, whether it's traditional treatment, 12 steps, rehab, uh, any medication, anything that helps a, an individual get better is wonderful. Your recovery is your recovery. It's your business. It's your private life and how you deal with recovering. I mean, some people choose to, to not take chemo when they have cancer. They choose other alternative methods. Um, were you supposed to diss them? It's their life, it's their health, it's their body. Right. They, it, it's your choice. And so, uh, you know, that's why I believe, that's why our logo is options save lives. You have to have lots of options because no one person is the same. Everyone drinks for a different reason. Everybody is genetically different. People have different influences genetically. Biologically, we're different. So how can you treat every single person exactly the same way? You can't. It's Absolutely. not a not a my way or the highway or one-step process. Oh, it's so true. It's so true. And I think it's really, um, I mean, it's really just such a, a hopeful method for people who can't anybody who, who wants to make a change or wants to drink differently, obviously, you know, all the people you talked about, that was, that was interesting to me to hear that there's people who, you know, in the hospitality industry or the entertainment industry. But then also, you know, I have people in the alcohol experiments, 30 day challenge that just simply can't string three or four days together. And mm -hmm. they ultimately don't want to be drinking because of whatever reason, their personal choices, but they physically just can't do it. And yeah. so this is a, a huge kind of ray of hope for someone to say, okay, you take this and, and you do drink and then it stops affecting your brain in the same way so that over time your desire to drink 
very naturally goes away. And as your desire is going away neurologically, something beautiful is also happening because you have a bunch of experiences sober that you hadn't had before. And so you're able to realize, oh, it wasn't actually the alcohol making life so great, which is what your brain can tell you that, you know, your experiences become enjoyable again. It's really interesting how, to me, how this works for people who simply want to change their drinking as well as for people who, you know, can't string days together. And I was yeah. just saying one of the most cool things about the the process and the method is if you're in a situation where, um, you know, you've gotten all the mental stuff, you understand that you want to make a change, et cetera, but for some reason you just can't for the life of you string days together or you can't make it past this enormous craving inside when you do something like naltrexone and specifically on the Sinclair method, what happens is that over time you, you desire wine or drinks less and less and less because it's, it's kind of actually blocked some of the pleasure from it is what in effect it does. And so then what happens there is you can not only have just much more control, but you open yourself up to experiencing things sober or very, you know, like when you were talking about your initial experience, when you said all of a sudden there was my steak and, and my salad, and I was really enjoying that instead of the glass of wine. I think so often what happens is we think, oh, well, we can't enjoy stuff without a glass of wine, but then you have your mm -hmm. glass of wine. It's, it's sitting mostly untouched, but all of a sudden you've enjoyed your experience. And, and that something really profound shifts when you realize that life is enjoyable without alcohol well, that's that's a many layered response. First of all, I would like to say that it it blocks the reinforcement, okay. not the um, it blocks the reinforcement of the alcohol. You still obtain pleasure from drinking. Um, you're just not compulsive to drink more. In addition, anybody who has an issue with alcohol and is either white knuckling through sobriety or is actively in the compulsive drinking stage they're not going to be able to absorb therapy or cognitive behavioral therapy or even Alcoholics Anonymous meetings or any message of hope because they're still actively in the addiction. Mm -hmm. So that said, yes, the Sinclair method will allow you to be engaged in your recovery because you're not thinking about alcohol and it will open up an entire life of enjoying the food and the company and listening. So one thing that people always tell me is, I, I went out last night and I was actually listening to my friends as opposed to thinking, when am I, when, when is it okay to order another drink? Everybody else is drinking so slow. You know, it's, it's that it's like a person on a diet, always thinking about, Oh, I can't have that. I can't have that. Oh God, I'm starving. Oh, no, no. It's just compulsive, compulsive thinking. So this sets you free. It sets you free from those chains of, of constantly thinking about it. And yes, you can engage in life, which is wonderful. Um, I think it's great for people who want privacy when they're dealing with their addiction, whether that's an airline pilot or a doctor or a lawyer, all of these people might lose their jobs. So that's another reason why they can't go public with it or stand up every day and say, I'm an alcoholic, even with the anonymity. What if their local parishioners or <laughs> patients see them? Um, you know, I deal, I do deal with people in very high stress jobs, police officers, uh, law, uh, lawyers, and, and, you know, I, I would like to know that my airline pilots personally are not drinking, um, or drinking safely. <laughs> uh, so these are all professions where people might need to deal with their issue 
in the privacy of their own home. So that's another positive aspect of this method. That's so awesome. So, yeah. Well, this has been, I mean, just phenomenal. I've gotten, you know, such an education. I think we have some really, really great resources that we can put um, as part of this episode and what you're doing, Claudia. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's just really amazing. All of that. I love it. I love it. it. It makes me, it gives me far more back, uh, than a lot of other things that I do in my career. I mean, I, I love acting. I love voiceover work. I love writing, but to have somebody say that you've positively changed their life or saved their life or saved the life of a loved one is just staggering. It's something that I always dreamt I could do. I just didn't realize that it would take my own, my own personal issue with alcohol misuse in order to find that, that springboard to help others. But I'm grateful for it at the end of the day. I, I was thinking again the other day, would I go back and take back that 10 years of my life if I had a choice? the 10 years of suffering and physical suffering and mentally suffering and just being lost and confused. Would I take that back? I don't think so. I think I would, I would endure it if, knowing that on the other end of it was a way to, to really help people, to really give them hope and to give them an option that works. And maybe the, that's why I went through what I went through and that's why I'm here. That's it's gratifying. It's beautiful. I always end by asking uh, one question, which you almost just answered, actually. But I'm going to ask you two because I have two questions for you. Um, first of all, the the question that I ask everyone is just, what would you tell that person who who was afraid, who was suffering about what life is like now, kind of on the other side? Never give up. Don't give up looking. Don't give up on yourself. Don't ever give up on somebody you love. Don't certainly don't give up on yourself. You, if something doesn't work, try another thing. If this doesn't work, go someplace else. Go to Peru if you have to find some sort of go anywhere. Just do find the resources. Do do your own experiment. Don't believe everybody. Don't believe that doctor. They, they only had eight minutes of addiction education in their entire medical, you know, uh, 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 education career. So so you know, don't believe anybody. Just Follow your heart and don't give up on yourself. You are worth every single bit of effort you can possibly put in to finding a better life and a happier space for yourself. This is the only shell that we're given. You gotta take care of it. We're, we're not, this is it. This is the body that you're, you're in. And if, if something isn't working, the brain or whatever, find a solution. You are responsible for that. I would tell myself at 35 and think 38, 40, just don't give up. Don't believe them when they say that you failed the treatment. Believe that the treatment failed you. You are an individual. You need to keep searching. And that's what I did. And I thank God I did it every day. Oh, that's, that's so cool. That's beautiful. Um, the second question specifically for you is in your, in your work, in the foundation, in the mission that you've really been given, what would you like to see? Like, how would it be, you know, this ideal world? We talked a little about telemedicine, which I think is phenomenal because it's going to put the power in the hands of the people, the patients. Yes. Um, yes. But what would you like to see? I want to see a clinic for TSM in every single America, North America, Canada, and the USA right now. Uh, I mean, I would love eventually to see it brought into third world countries that have no addiction inf treatment infrastructure at all. They don't have anything, meetings, rehab, nothing. They have nothing. I just taught in India this summer and I would love to have uh, a pharma company produce naltrexone two ways, 
really, really cheaply for these individuals, like 10 cents a pill. And I would like to get a naltrexone over the counter. That's a dream of mine because there's no reason why it shouldn't be over the counter. Narcon, naloxone is over the counter now. Naltrexone has never caused an overdose. You cannot become addicted to it. It does not produce a pleasurable effect. It is not a fun drug. It's an opiate blocker. It should be over the counter. That's a big dream of mine. Another dream of mine is to have it manufactured with an anti-nausea medication already in it so that we get rid of that whole 30% of the people who have that side effect. Another dream of mine, and I'm having a meeting with the First Lady of North Dakota next week, I want to get it on every Native American reservation, whether it's in any any indigenous tribe deserves this. We, not me, I didn't, <laughs> I'm first generation. I didn't bring the alcohol to the Native Americans, but I want to bring it to the tribal, to the reservations, because they deserve uh, a treatment for alcohol use disorder. They were brought alcohol. Their system does not deal with it well. They cannot synthesize alcohol, ethanol, in, in a productive manner. Um, it's destroying lives. It's destroying families. It has been the bane of their existence. That, in addition to a bad diet, which also the white people, <laughs> the settlers, brought to them, you know, high fat, white flour, white sugar, which is causing massive amounts of diabetes within the population. I want to help fix their alcohol issue. That is something that I would like to give to these incredible people. Um, other than that, I just pray for funding so we can continue on. I pray for a grant every day so we can continue our work. I want to continue to offer these services for free to every individual. I do not want to be ripping off anybody. I don't want to monetize this in any way. I would like to get funding so we can all, Jenny and I can you know, do this full time and make a living, but I never want to, I never want to subject the patient the individual to any costs. I do not believe people should be penalized for having an addiction, especially one to alcohol. When this can be offered for very little money, insurance can cover the telemedicine eventually. Insurance should cover naltrexone. And if you're not insured, it should be incredibly cheap. The medication is generic. It doesn't cost a lot to produce. So that is my dream is that every single person can come to C3 Foundation, get free counseling, free information for the rest of eternity. I want this to live on even when I die. I want to be able to offer this free services to people for, the, for forever because I think that people have suffered enough. They deserve help. That's beautiful. You are just such a beautiful person. I love your energy. Oh, I love, thank you, Annie. It's just awesome. It's just awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> really great to have you. Um, such a good message. And yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is one of the most popular episodes because there's just so much so much hope and so much knowledge and, and another way, one that people just don't even know about. So thank you so and, much and for being it, here. Well, thank you because the beautiful thing about talking about it is it reduces shame and stigma and people can start coming out of the closet and also your viewers and the people who are listening can help others. All you have to do is talk about it. Right. When you're at a party, talk about, you know, I heard this thing about the Sinclair method. Have you ever heard about it? I talk about it everywhere. People are probably sick of me talking about it, <laughs> but seriously, tell your doctor, you know, tell, tell anybody that you meet at a party, tell your relatives in case they know somebody who's the chances are that every single person listening to this podcast knows somebody who has an unhealthy relationship with alcohol so they can help. Yep. So true. So true. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. Oh, well, thank you. I look forward to being in touch. Okay, great. <laughs> thank you. 
This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word. Thank you.